Picking up the thread of the uh, Jesus Revolution this morning in Mark chapter 6, jumping a couple of chapters ahead and, and picking up in Mark chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> Mark writes, Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all the, this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hand on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. So uh, as we've unpacked the story and looked at this idea of Jesus bringing a revolution, and uh, as Mark unpacks his, his earliest gospel, so it's the first story written about Jesus, and, uh, and we've encountered these stories that tell us that, you know, Jesus walks along the seaside, and he calls the disciples and just says, come follow me, and, uh, and we don't know exactly what they knew about him, but it was enough that they dropped everything, like dropped his, their nets, dropped their families, walked away from their jobs and their homes and the people they knew and the place that they lived and just went wherever Jesus went. And then he, uh, he promises healing and wholeness, but that's not as they expect. It's just that everywhere he goes, he makes things better. But Mark wants us to know it's not the kind of better that they're always looking for. It's not always the kind of better that they might expect but that Jesus is unexpected, but he always brings wholeness and healing. And so he wants the message to get out, but, uh, and, and Jesus wants people to know, and he, and he tells the, the leper in last, year, at last week's story, last year, been a long week, I guess. But he, he tells this leper, he says, go to the temple, you know, do this uh, sacrifice that you need to do, make a public declaration. He says, it'll be your public testimony that you're clean and you're free of leprosy and people are safe to get near to you and, and, and that you're good. He says, go make a public testimony of what God's done for you, but keep this quiet, like keep me quiet. So Jesus wants word to get out. He wants God to get credit, but he's not looking for personal fame. He's not looking to build a following. In fact, he seems to be trying to avoid that. And, uh, and as we looked at last week, he, he does that because as soon as word seems to spread far enough, then it makes it hard for him to get into the places he needs to get to be close to people. And so he has to stay kind of outside of town. And so these opening stories, they, they begin to give us a picture of what Mark's trying to tell us about this guy, Jesus, that he's from God, but other people are not necessarily seeing it, that he's the Messiah, but he's not the expected Messiah. He's the one who comes and teaches, but he doesn't just teach like the other religious leaders. He's got this authority to him. There's something about him that the way that he speaks, people want to listen and they're drawn into what he's saying and they realize the power of it. 
And, uh, and so he teaches and he heals everywhere he goes. And, and it's pulling people towards him. And sometimes they, uh, they get a little carried away, but, but he is doing these things. And, uh, and so that's the picture that's unfolding. And, and then as we look into our passage this morning, he comes back to his hometown and it's the place where he's grown up and they knew him as a child and as a young adult. And then when he leaves town and he starts this ministry, and so he comes home and, uh, and he encounters the people who've had the most reason to see him and get to know him and that you expect to have a certain kind of reaction when he comes home and, and they've heard these things about him and they've witnessed these things, some of them, that he does these healings and that he has this teaching. And the people he grew up with seem to have this reaction of surprise. Like what he's doing and what he's saying shocks and amazes them. And so we're told that they're amazed and they ask this question, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Where did he get the wisdom of his teaching? Where did he get the power to do these miracles? We don't understand. The miracles of healing, we have never seen that in him before. This, the power of his teaching, the, the wisdom that he's showing, this seems foreign to us. Where did he get that? And if you've followed along for this series, you probably are starting to get the picture that Mark thinks the answer to these questions, because these questions seem to dominate it. Who is this Jesus? What's he about? And, and we're let in on the scene. Like we, we hear with Jesus, the voice that comes from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We get to see the patterns that are unfolding as Jesus goes from town to town. We get to hear the things he says and the things he does in such a light that we see him differently than some of the people that encounter him. And, and so he lets us behind the curtain. It's clear that Ma what Mark believes about Jesus, but it's also clear that a lot of the people that are hearing him tell these stories, a lot of the people that are watching him do these miracles seem to react a little like the hometown. And so just ch six chapters into this gospel, into this short story that tells us the story of who Jesus is and, and, and what he did when he was here on earth. Into this story, this early in the story, Mark's really unfolded for us a repeating pattern over and over again. And, and if we look back through some of the stories we've read and some of the ones that we've kind of gone past, you see this pattern. So in Mark chapter 1, verse 24, the, there are demons who say, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So demons understand that he's the Holy One of God. They see it and they go, what, have, what, what are you doing here? Are you here to destroy us? And, and then three verses later, it says, amazement gripped the audience and they began to discuss what had happened. And they say, what sort of new teaching is this, they ask excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey him. So the evil spirits go, you're the Holy One of God. And the people go, what is this about? Like, where is it, where'd this guy come from? What's, how is he able to do this? And then in, in, uh, as the story progresses, we find 
in, uh, in chapter 1, again, in verse 34, it says, So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons, but because the demons knew who he was, he didn't allow them to speak. So Jesus shuts them up because they know exactly who he is. But if you, you look to the next chapter, in Mark chapter 2, at the, in verse 6, it says, But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, What's he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So when Jesus says, Your sins are forgiven, they don't have the reaction. They don't understand. So demons see who he is, but people are confused. Amazed. Surprised. They see the wisdom of it. They see the power of it. They think it's a good thing people are being healed, but, but, but what is this? What are we seeing here? Who is this guy? What's he about? So chapter 3, verse 11, And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits would throw themselves to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God! So they get it. But you know, Mark chapter 4, uh, verse 41, the disciples were absolutely terrified. So even the disciples, the ones who dropped everything to follow him, who is this man? They asked each other, even the wind and waves obey him. And then Mark chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, with a shriek, he screamed, why are you interfering? This is demons again. Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In the name of God, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already said to the spirit, come out of this man, you evil spirit. So over and over again, six chapters, and already over and over again, demons understand who Jesus is. They get who he is and what he's about, and they're afraid of him for that reason, People are still amazed and surprised and shocked and questioning. And so Jesus has encountered this again and again, and some people get it. There are people who even follow him, who have dropped everything to follow him, that are still at times trying to figure out who is this Jesus? What is it we're witnessing here? Where did all this come from? And how do we make sense of what we're seeing? And so we come to our story, and now the response of those in Jesus' hometown is that they scoffed and they said, he's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. Like, we know his brothers, and his sisters live right here among us, and they were deeply offended and refused to believe him. So they, like all the others, they have this blooming question. Who is this guy? Where does this power come from? What's he about? What are we seeing when we watch him, uh, when we hear him give this teaching? We recognize that as wisdom. When, when we see the miracles, we can't deny that it's actually powerful. It doesn't seem to be smoke and mirrors. It's not a trick. It, it seems to be real. But what are we seeing? Where did he come from? Who is he acting on behalf of? And, and so they scoff and they go, we know this guy. He's a carpenter. That guy might know how to fix something wooden if it's broken. He knows how to drive a nail. He knows how to use, well, he doesn't know how to use power tools. But he's got the, you know, the real power to drive a nail, to make it go straight. He knows what he's doing with wood. We could give him that. He's a carpenter. But that's all he is. The son of Mary, the brother of James. We know his family. We know where he grew up. We watched him grow up. 
And nothing they saw in his upbringing, nothing they saw as he grew in wisdom and stature, nothing that they watched in that hometown made them convinced this is God walking among us. They were the people that had the most opportunity to observe him in his early life, and they were the people who didn't get it. And Mark admits that to us, knowing that some people will look at that and go, well, they must have known. But Mark has shown us this pattern. He's shown us this Jesus at work. He's made very clear what he believes about Jesus. And he says, look, you should believe that too. You should see past what these people can't see past. You should answer that question with a resounding, who is he? What's he doing? He's exactly who the demons say he is. He's the son of God. He's the one who came from God to rescue us. He's the Messiah. He's our hero. He's the one that's got power and authority and wisdom. And we should listen to his wisdom. And we should let him make us right and heal what's broken inside us. He says the demons understand. They might not have the right reaction. They're just afraid of him. But at least they understand who he was. The people just seemed to miss it. And he says they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. They refused to believe in him. And they're in fact offended by what he's doing. What has he done to offend them? He's taught them what they admit is wisdom. And he's healed people who are sick and struggling and suffering. And they go, no, I don't see it. How dare you claim to be that? And so the religious leaders call it blasphemy. And his family and his friends from his hometown are offended at what he's doing. That's their whole response to this Jesus that, they, that they've seen in action and they've heard what he has to say and they've seen the things that he's done just like we've seen in the stories. And Mark goes, would you believe this is their reaction? Would you believe these people of all people, his own family, his own friends, the people who grew up watching his brothers and sisters, they didn't see the difference between the other brothers and Jesus? Like they didn't see that he was more than a carpenter? How could they not know? How could they not see? And so Mark says, look, are are you with me? This is Jesus. I see it. Some of those guys by the seashore, they saw enough to follow him anywhere, to drop everything and go with him. Do you see who he is? Do you understand enough about what I'm telling you about the stories, about the way he carries himself, about the way he looks after other people's needs, about the way that he's not just looking for fame for him. In fact, he avoids the spotlight so that he can do more good for more people. Do you understand who Jesus is yet? But the people there, they they just don't get it. And so Jesus points out the irony of it in verse 4. Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere. Like anywhere a prophet goes. When you go and you speak wisdom and and you do the things that I've done, the prophets are honored everywhere. People recognize them as speaking for God. They're honored everywhere except for one place when they go home. 
Like home is where people look at you and all they see is the little boy that grew up. All they see is the practicing years at carpentry. And they can't see past the carpentry to see the Lord who is standing right in front of them and doing the things he's done everywhere and being who he is. And Mark is amazed. And so he says, they were amazed at him, but they refused to believe in him. They're offended instead. And so Jesus says, a prophet's honored everywhere except in his own town. And the place that had the most chance to see Jesus in action are the people who, are, who seem to reject him the most readily. And as a result of this, because of their unbelief, he goes on to say, and because of their unbelief, they could, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He couldn't do any miracles because of that and among them except to place, because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them. Now, how many people have seen the movie Elf? Seems like a really odd time to mention it, doesn't it? It'll, it'll make sense in a minute. How many people, like, put up your hand. It's a real question. It's not one of those, like, funny church things where they ask a question, they don't mean it. You've seen Elf, right? So there's a scene in the movie Elf where Santa's sleigh is grounded. You remember near the end, if you didn't fall asleep by that point? And, because um, it's a good movie. It's funny. But, but. Santa's sleigh can't get off the ground and you know they've got to drum up belief in Santa because they got this little machine in there that measures you know belief in Santa and if everybody believes in Santa the sleigh will get off the ground but if they don't believe strong enough the sleigh can't move sound familiar to some people they see hear these verses and they think it's sad but they picture it that way that that you know, Jesus, it says, he, because of their unbelief, because they didn't believe, he couldn't do any miracles. And so they hear that sentence and they go, oh, oh okay. So his, his ability to do miracles is powered by other people's belief. Like that's the fuel that makes his miracles possible. That's not what we're talking about. Forget Elf, right? If you're trying to interpret Jesus and understand that there's a different explanation for what's happening, their unbelief meant that miracles couldn't happen. But when, he, when it says that he, he couldn't do any miracles, what is stopping him is the question. And we would say, well, well the sentence is pretty clear because of their unbelief. That's what's happening that's the mechanics but what is actually the cause why can't he do any miracles did jesus suddenly lack the power to do miracles like was it like i'm, I'm trying but it just can't happen I, I i i tried to you know say the magic words and it just didn't work anymore and that's not it he didn't stop being Jesus. He didn't stop being God. He wasn't disempowered by the fact that they were unbelieving. Then, then how was it the unbelief stopped him if he still had the power to do it? And what's happening is that Jesus operates by certain principles. There are certain things that God does do and doesn't do. 
And so if we believe in Jesus, if we are willing to invite him into our circumstance, again and again in the miracle stories, Mark says, you've seen the pattern, like, like didn't you pick up the clues? When Jesus has somebody believe in him, when, when they invite him into their circumstance, when they beg him for healing, when they come to him asking him to help, he helps them. If you are willing, and he says, well, yeah, I'm willing. The guy says, if you... He, he begs him and he says, if you're willing, you can help me. And he begs him to do it. And Jesus goes, yes, of course. And he heals him. So there's this sense with our God, if you get to know who Jesus really is, then you understand everything he does for us is voluntary on our part. Like Jesus in this moment has the power to heal people, but if they will not believe in, if they choose not to go to him for the healing, he won't foist it on them. Their unbelief stops him because it stops their approach to him. It doesn't stop how he feels or how he acts towards them. And so he can't because he can't violate that principle of the freedom that he's given them to choose for themselves. I mean, understand, it's a really, really, really bad choice. But he won't violate their freedom. He says, look, if you invite me to help you, I will help you. If you want me in your life, I will come in. If you allow me to do what I want to do, your life will be better. You will experience wholeness. You will have everything you need. All things work together for good to them that love God. Like that's the principle here that he's willing and he's wanting and he's desiring to help us. He wants to make things better, but we have to be willing participants. And so it says because of their unbelief, it's like, I can't do anything for you because I won't force you into this. And so it says, he couldn't do any miracles among them except for a few people. There were still a few willing to come to him, desperate enough to say, Jesus, come on. And he goes, okay, I, you I can work with. And he heals a few sick people. And this time it's his choice, his turn to be amazed at them they are amazed that he has all this wisdom they're amazed that he can do these miracles they're amazed that somebody who grew up and they watched become a carpenter has risen above the station of carpenter and has this power that comes from god and they can't get over it and they can't reconcile it and they can't make sense of it and and when people are not used to something when it's not the way they're used to hearing it or seeing things Sometimes they put blinders on. And so they refuse to believe in him, even though they're amazed by what he's doing. And he is amazed by the way they look at it. And it keeps him from doing what he desires to do for them and for every human being that's ever walked on planet Earth to make things okay and to fix what's broken to intervene on our behalf and to use the power of heaven to set our souls straight. And it says he's amazed at their unbelief. And then Jesus went from village to village teaching 
the people. He went on his way and he did his thing and he reached people and he did things for them and he drew people into God's kingdom. But some of them sadly are like the people back home that couldn't see past their own circumstance and their own experience and refused to believe what was standing right in front of them in the person of Jesus Christ. So they couldn't access any of those miracles because they wouldn't allow it, because they stopped it with their own unbelief. Not because they shut him down, but because they shut themselves down. And the one thing they had to do was to say yes. They wouldn't do it. And he wouldn't make them. Mark says Jesus was amazed by that. He looked at it and he went, it is incredibly amazing, not amazing in a good way, but amazing that they don't see it, that they don't believe it, that they can't allow it, that they've shut it out. And you and I live in a world that has all kinds of brokenness, like deep hurt, and wounds that need to be healed and brokenness that needs to be made right. And they walk, people walk around with all of their baggage and Jesus can help them. And it's no less amazing today than it was then that people could encounter the living Jesus because he is still alive and he is still active and he still cares about every human that walks on the planet. Mark goes, can you even believe they refused? Don't be one of them. See what I see and what I saw. Believe what I believe about Jesus. I'm telling you this story so you will know. This Jesus... He changed everything for the people he encountered that would let him. And if you invite him, he will too. If you let him do what only he can do, your life will be made right. You don't have to walk around dragging that stuff with you any longer. You can let go of it. You can separate from it. You can believe it. It is amazing to believe, but it's so true that it's amazing if you don't believe. So Jesus, who knows everything, is amazed at their unbelief. Not because he didn't see it coming, because it's so incredibly unbelievable that you could see and hear what they saw and heard and not know who he is. Demons saw it. Come on, people. Mark's saying, like, come on, people. You got to know. You got to see it. Recognize the pattern. I've been throwing out these breadcrumbs. If you're following the story at all, you got to see who Jesus is by now. And to see him is to believe him. And to believe him is to put your life in his hands. Those early guys who heard him on the seashore that dropped everything to follow him, they weren't dumb. They were so wise to do that. Best moment of their lives. 
These guys watched him grow up and denied him. Those people barely knew him and they followed him. Be one of them. See what they saw. See what I saw. Jesus? Jesus is everything. And he's still calling people for full commitment to follow him and to put their lives in his hands. And if you do, it's a game changer in the best possible way. And your life will make complete sense. And some people don't see it. Lots of people don't see it. But Mark invites us to notice, to pay attention, to see it so much that it doesn't just become this cognitive idea of, oh yeah, there was a guy named Jesus and these are the stories about him, but that those stories would so move into our lives that they would shape who we are and change how we look at the world. And Mark says, if that happens, then the miracle can happen for you. But if it doesn't, and you don't really trust him, and you don't fully put yourself in his hands, and you don't bet the farm on him like those guys did, then you will miss out. And it'll never happen. And your unbelief will stop what God wants to do because he does want to help. And he does want to make it better. And he does want to bring you wholeness and fullness and life. How about it, Mark says. He's still saying, come follow me. And he's still inviting you to believe him in such a way that you put your full faith in him and you risk every other relationship and every other thing in your life and everything you've ever experienced in order to believe that he is the one that makes the biggest difference. Mark says, if you do that, you will learn what these people missed. 